Hello, I'm Zeb Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, bold solutions, inspiration, and a renewed sense of meaning and purpose in their journey to advance patient-centered, customer-oriented, value-based healthcare. Folks, the views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization that I may be affiliated with. Today uh, on, uh, on the program, uh, we're going to be broadly speaking about uh, redesigning primary care. And uh, I, I can tell you um, how, uh, how fortunate I feel. And, and I, it's such a pleasure to have a guest on the show, Dr. Rashika Fernanda Pule. Uh, I'm going to introduce him briefly, uh, although it's going to be hard to make it brief. Uh, Rashika is a practicing uh, internist and a co-founder of Eora Health, that's I-O-R-A Health, a healthcare services firm based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, whose mission is to build a radically new model of primary care to improve quality and service and reduce overall expenditures. Uh, Rashika attended Harvard University undergrad as well as Harvard Medical School. He earned a master's in public policy from the Kennedy School of Government. He uh, did his medical training internship at the University of Pennsylvania and his residency at Mass General Hospital. He uh, continues to serve as a staff member at Mass General, and he's also on the faculty at the Harvard Medical School. Uh, he has worked uh, uh, for large consulting firms early on in his career. He's been a managing director of the Clinical Initiative Center at the Advisory Board Company. He has co-authored and edited several publications. In, uh, in 2012, he was named an Ashoka Global Fellow. He's also a member of the Albert Schweitzer and Salzburg Global Fellowships. And in 2014, he uh, was awarded Entrepreneur of the Year by the New England Venture Capital Association. So, uh, so when I say, folks, that it's a, it's a pleasure and a privilege of, of having on the show, I really mean that. I've, I've also, just in full disclosure, I've, I've had the privilege of knowing and interacting with Rashika for the past six or seven years. We met when I was still in Boston. And uh, I have to say this, what, what's remarkable to me, uh, knowing Rashika, is despite his amazing credentials and, uh, and awesome accomplishments, he is so humble and down to earth and, and uh, unbelievably practical in his thinking. Um, and, and Rashika, you know, I didn't intend to say this, but what's that about? I mean, the, the real question on my mind is how do I raise a child to turn out like you? That's really the only question I want to ask. <laughs> <laughs> what did your parents feed? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. If you ask my kids or my wife, they may disagree with you, but we'll leave it at that. It's, isn't it always the case, right? <laughs> yes. Um, but it is, Rashika. It's a pleasure. How's um, how's the weather in, in Boston right now? Is fall hit yet, or is it still summer? You know, we had a long period of time in the end of August where it was cool and crisp, and you had the blanket on at night. And uh, and all of a sudden this week, we're back in the eighty degree humid range. So the the thing about New England weather, as I'm sure you remember, if you don't like it, wait a second, it'll change. And so <laughs> such is life. Isn't that the case? Yes. Yeah. It, it sounds a little bit like New England medicine um, or healthcare. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I didn't. I didn't mean any disrespect by that at all. I'm such a big fan of, of Boston and Boston healthcare, um, having spent some time up there, even more so. So, Shika, um, you know, I, I guess let's let's let me ask you this first to give a very very brief thumbnail sketch of Eora Health for those folks who are not familiar with it, and then I'm gonna 
really get into some deeper questions. But if you could just give a high level, what is your health? You know, how big is it? How many places do you have? Just just so folks understand a little bit about it. Yeah, so, so Iora Health really is trying to create a new model of healthcare delivery. I think as a primary care doc or, to be honest, as a patient, it uh, was obvious that the way we do healthcare, despite good people and good intentions, uh, was awful, right? I think the experience of care was sort of suboptimal. Uh, by the way, both for patients and for doctors and people in this, uh, who were working in it. You know, the outcomes were sort of embarrassing and the cost is obscene. Uh, and that I spent a lot of my early career uh, you know, at the advisory board company uh, in academics trying to tweak the system. And the simple insight is maybe what we need to do is simply start over. So what Iora does is we're building a new model of care delivery, but from the ground up and starting from scratch and purely, you know, consumer centric, value based, you know, digital, all the things that it ought to be. And let's stop making excuses and just build it. So we uh, have worked with what we call sponsors because we have to get paid by uh, paid differently. And so we work with self-insured employers, we work with, uh, you know, Medicare Advantage insurers, and we build these new primary care practices. So we're tiny. Uh, we have about a little over two dozen practices right now in eight different markets across the country. So yeah, tiny, but but mighty. Um, so Rashika, you know, I mean, this again, knowing you and, and having read numerous interviews that you've had with with the Wall Street Journal and uh, in, in, in the New Yorker, uh, or New York, New York uh, Times Magazine section and others, you know, uh, the question that, that I want to ask is this. The first question is, look, here you are. You, you, you've gone to, to, to the best schools in the country. You've had the best medical training, tremendous skill and capability. Um, you, could, you could have and you still could go anywhere, do anything um, in healthcare. Uh, you, you know, you could in the traditional model of healthcare. You, you again, you could have gone any route you wanted to and and achieve what you wanted to. So that wasn't the issue. So what what was it that made someone like you, who was uh, you know again in the best possible situation in healthcare, uh, what experience, what observation? I know you 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 kind of teased us a little bit, and again. Rashika, you, you clearly do not pull your punches. That was obvious uh, and, and will become more obvious, I think, in this conversation. But what what led you to say, I, I need to step out and, and stand up and, and, and do this in a completely different way, not tweak what we have, not improve what we have, but really radically redesign it from the floor up, from the bottom up, foundationally even. I mean, you must have... I mean, there's something that happened. There are observations you had that led you to this. And I'm just, I'm really curious as to what those, what those stories were, what those experiences were, what those, what, what numbers, what drove you? Yeah, so I've always been back and forth in my career from the very beginning between clinical medicine, taking care of, you know, which essentially is taking care of one patient at a time. And as a system thinker, thinking about how we create systems to do things. So I was a government major as an undergraduate and studied ethnic conflicts in Northern Ireland and in Sri Lanka, which is where I was from originally. And, you know, how do systems happen? And I, I got a master's in public policy at the Kennedy School, you know, as a leave of absence from medical school. So I've always been back and forth. And I think the simple insight was being a primary care doc. I remember one night quite clearly. It was a February night in Boston. I'm sure you remember these. It was, you know, 10 degrees, though, you know, it gets dark at 3.30, <clears throat> and it's just bleak. And I was sitting and uh, see, saw, seeing in a typical primary care practice, 
you know, saw 30-something patients and then had to stay two hours after work because they had just put this new electronic health record in and I couldn't figure out how to do all the points and clicks in the time while the patient was in front of me. So I had to stay two hours after work to finish the notes or else I'd get yelled at for not meeting my RVUs and my meeting, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, sitting there with a colleague and she was doing the same thing. And uh, My kids were at home, but I couldn't see them because I had to do this. And she said, Rashika, every day I lose a little piece of my soul. Every day I lose a little piece of my soul. You know, we went into this to help people and I just can't do it, right? Um, And people come to me with really big needs and I have so much training and went through so much. And in seven minutes, with all this crap we have to do, this is an unwinnable game. And by the way, it's getting worse. <laughs> and and it, I think that just struck me. And she was exactly right. It was an unwinnable game, and it was getting worse and not better. And I think the simple insight from system design series, wait a second, I could sit around and complain <clears throat> like most doctors do. You know, I could I could leave and become a novelist or an investment banker or something. But but I cared about healthcare and cared about medicine and cared about patients. So then it's we created this stupid system. We can fix it. And I think what I, the insight was that maybe the system is rotten at the core, right? And the core is that we have turned healthcare in this country uh, and probably everywhere, by the way, but into a series of transactions. It's so transactional: document, code, bill, next. 99213, and many of the things we're doing to try and fix it, whether it's medical homes or ACOs or meaningful use or, you know, pick your, pick your acronym, you know, MACRA, MIPS, etc., they're all adding more transactions into the system. And I think the insight was, wait a second, what actually causes healing is a relationship. And that what we need to do is we need to maybe uh, not keep adding more transactions on, but get rid of it all and recenter on relationships. And so one of my favorite quotes is actually from Michelangelo, where they ask him, how do you get the Pieta? You know, this beautiful sculpture. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's actually really very simple. What I do is I take a block of stone and I chip away everything that's not the Pieta. Right? Take a block of stone, chip away everything that's not the piano. Mm-hmm. That's what we have to do. We do not add more stuff on, which is what we tend to do in healthcare. Maybe we should start over and take things away. So this beauty of this healthcare encounter, which in the end is sort of patient-doctor, you know, uh, healing relationship, that we can get back to that. So that really is what drove me to simply start over. Now, it's really hard, by the way. It's taken me a long, long time. Uh, and there are all sorts of reasons why it's hard, but, but, but that's the core insight. And yeah, so I, you know, you talked to, when you opened up, you talked about the, the high cost of care and the low quality. And again, these are statistics we don't have to go through. I think uh, if people aren't familiar with that, it's easy enough to, to look that up. And, uh, <clears throat> and, but you know, you talked about this issue and well, two issues you raised around the patient and the physician in your story. And uh, I do wonder, it sort of begs the question right now, we're seeing uh, such a tremendous uh, percentage of physicians who are burnt out, and you say they're, you know, you mentioned there, there's a lot of people complaining in the system, but but they're burnt out, right? They're they're demoralized, they're depressed, uh, depersonalized, uh, literally feeling like they're not even part of the action. And I do wonder if what you're saying is actually the way we've been, the the, the way we've uh, changed healthcare and changed primary care in particular, if that's really led to the burnout. What's your thought about that? Yeah, you know, I think absolutely. And as I said, unfortunately, 
it seems to be getting worse and not better, <laughs> right? And, it, it, you know, if you're trying to fix the problem that's getting worse, you need to stop and say, maybe I'm doing something wrong and we need to do something else. And, and again, at heart, uh, so I, you know, I'm, a, I, I'm a, a pre-med advisor over at Harvard College still. And you get these people who really want to go into medicine. They, they, they buy the, you know, the dream of uh, taking care of people and, you know, impacting their lives and taking science and applying it to real world problems, you know, all of that. And they're great. And then you see them come out the other end, unfortunately. And we've like beaten all that out of them, right? It's because uh, we have structured the job wrong and we've put them in the wrong system, right? It's not bad people and it's not even bad intentions. So there, there are some of that. It's in general poor mm-hmm. system design. You know, I, I don't want to go too far into this, but I, I, you know, being someone, a physician who is actually in the system in a large IDN and, and have been for, for many years, uh, I share a lot of your perspectives, particularly uh, coming from primary care and, and being a manager and executive in primary care, physician executive. The challenge, though, is, is the transition itself. I mean, it sounds to me like what you're doing is creating the future vision that we need to get to. The hard part is how do we get there in the short run? And, you know, I think at, at, you know, at its core, the path you've chosen, um, which is, I think, a, you know, a bold path. And quite honestly, and, and I've said this to you before, is you're on a hero's journey. There's no question about it from my perspective. Um, and I know you laugh at that. And, and, you know, as all people like you do, you know, you just, you're more focused on, on, on getting the results and getting the outcome and, and achieving that on yourself. And so, but, but that aside, you know, how, how, what do you say to the, the, the masses of leadership and, and, and you talk to leaders all the time, healthcare leaders, and, and what do you say to them about where they are and what they're doing compared to where, where you are and what you're doing? And we will get into a bit more into what you're doing. But I'm just, I am curious about that part of it, that interface between the path you've chosen, which is to create the vision, uh, and as you said, it's very, very hard, um, versus staying in the system and trying to make incremental change. Do you, I mean, do you think that one, you know, as payment changes, that it'll, it'll get to the point, a tipping point where people will turn to you and say, okay, you know, Rashika, you've been doing this for, you know, 15 years, we're ready for your model, we want, we want this, you know, and... And we're ready for it now. Do you think that that time will come, or how, how do you see this playing out over the next five or ten years? You know, it's a great question. And by the way, I think maybe the right question is how it will play out over the next ten or twenty years, not five mm-hmm. or ten. Right? Five or ten mm-hmm. years is. <clears throat> I've been doing this. I started my first practice uh, along this model uh, thirteen years ago now. So <laughs> these timelines are long. Um, you, you know, what I'm trying to do is create the vision of where we want to go. Because in some ways, if we don't know where we're going, how do we know if we're going to get there? Um, I think it is, it is also valuable to try and start figuring out how do we get from here to there. So these are not an either or. I think it's a both and. I think what we need to be doing as we think about how we change healthcare is both sort of have some places where we can go deep and start over and create the vision and simultaneously figure out how do we take what we have and move it in this direction. And th- those two things inform each other. Right. So, so I think it's a, it's a both hand. Uh, they're both really difficult, by the way. Any sort of change is difficult, um, for different reasons. Uh, I think, um, I feel the momentum shifting 
right? So when I started doing this 13 years ago, first of all, no one really cared about primary care. You know, you were, you know, poor stepchild and, and no one really cared. Now at least people understand, A, that we need to move toward value. B, we need to move toward consumerism. C, we need to move toward sort of more digital. You know, D, that primary care is an important part of the solution. Uh, e, that we need to think about changing payment. Now, I'd argue that even though people recognize those, they're moving too slowly on all of the above. But at least, at least they recognize it. Uh, and then there are a few people who are moving further ahead and faster. And in some ways, when you do this sort of work like I do, uh, what you do is you find the innovators, the sort of wackos, the, the people on the edge, the innovators, and that's who you associate with. Uh, and then you, you then move down the curve as people see the evidence that the people who are a little less innovative are able to join on. It's sort of Everett Rogers' diffusion of innovation. Right. Do you see... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I would take a little difference with the term wacko I, I think uh, you know, I, I do think innovators are are compelled uh, to move forward in a different way and in a quicker way and I think it's a, it's a path that is often less it's far less safe in many ways and so I, again I take my hat off to you and, and others who are doing this work and, and at the same time I completely agree with you the folks who are in systems who are daily trying to make small improvements uh, that over time, you know, you know, that one or two percent, you know, a year over time yeah. becomes quite substantial. So I, I, you know, it's I take my hat off to them, too, because that's that's a different hard uh, path uh, to, to, to go down as well and, and, and pushing that ball up that hill. So you, I agree. It's it's a both hand. I just wonder if there's some way that we can facilitate this um you know where, and I don't. And I, quite honestly, I don't know how how well connected people are in the in the established you know traditional healthcare systems with with folks like yourself. But it seems to me there's an opportunity for greater um, communication. And you, you know, I've tried to expose you, as you know, obviously, I, I brought you into places that I've been in uh, working, and 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 it's you know to be honest with you, it's it's worked. I mean, people see what you do. They first of all become inspired. They become hopeful, and uh, quite honestly, they steal right. And and of course, the the highest form of flattery. It's great, and you you've been you you are incredibly gracious in that. Um, so I, I wonder if there's a, a way to stitch this or, or tie this, you know, or or some. I mean, you can't you can't tie the boats together because they're they're different vessels. Um, and but I just I just wonder how is that? I don't know how much energy or mind time you give to that thought about uh, about that interaction or the inter intersection between you and the establishment? No, it's a great question. And I think, uh, you, you know, obviously when people, friends like you ask us to come and talk about what we're doing, we're, I'm happy to do so. You know, the, the mission of Iora, my sort of personal mission is to transform healthcare. And and so that's a big part of that is exposing other people. We're certainly going to trans not going to transform healthcare by just doing it in our little pocket. It's then using that as an object lesson to try and create broader change. I think what's hard about what but what you are doing in the typical system, what's really hard about it is you're trying to do two things at the same time. And I think our biggest advantage is um, is that we're not right. So I think if you look at what care is like today, which is largely built around fee-for-service, doing more things for people, upcoding, transactional, you know, how many widgets off a line. Um, uh, and then what we're doing, which is really population management, 
our job to be done, to quote Corey Christensen, is not how many patients can I see, how many beds can I fill. It's I have a population of people, they're my problem, how do I improve their health and keep them out of trouble and do whatever it takes? Those two things, if you take it seriously, they're not a little different, they're completely different. Uh, and the hardest thing, maybe, is to do what, what you and other progressive people in typical institutions are doing, they're trying to do both in the same place and at the same time. And I think that's really hard. And I think what we've just chosen is this is different, so let's just do this over here. And that makes it a lot easier to sort of evolve and create because we don't realize all the things we have that are built for the current system. So, for instance, we had to, you know, um, obviously the payment model, the sort of people we have in the practice, the space design, the culture, uh, the IT systems, right? So all these epics of the world, you know, are built for the old system to optimize billing, coding, transactions, not population management teams, happiness. And so we've had to build our own, right? So I think it's just very, these are very different. And trying to do them both is maybe the hardest thing. Mm, that's a really good point. You know, the one, and I've heard you say this before, I really like this concept. And it's, it's one I think you probably keep close to you. And, and I'm not sure how many people, and I'll speak for myself here, uh, sometimes lose sight of this. I've heard you talk about primary care and even what you're doing at Aura Health and, and the clinical part and, and all the, you know, the health coaches and behavioral health integration and platform. And all the other components you've, you've put together. Uh, but at the end of it, you say, look, it's not about any of that. It's, it's really about, and, and it's not even about, this is, and, and if, I, if I'm paraphrasing incorrectly, please correct it. But it, you said it's not even about the health outcomes. What we're here for is to help people live better lives. And if we start with that North Star, right, and work backwards, and to your point, that's when you start to, instead of adding things onto the Pieta, that's when you chip the stuff away to get at the pure uh, value proposition that you're going after, but it's that it's that ultimate. If you know you know in 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 process improvement, we have this thing called five whys, right? Where you you do something, and you say, well, why are you doing that? And then then you say then you ask the question, well, why are you doing that? Until you get to the core thing, and and so maybe speak to that. What is the core thing you're trying to achieve, and 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 then back up from there, and and maybe you know help paint the picture or vision of of what you've, the components, the major critical components of your health that you put into place that allow you to achieve that, that vision of what you're actually trying to accomplish. Yeah, so maybe I'll start with a story, actually, which I think illustrates it really well. So we had a practice in uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey, years ago, and uh, I was seeing patients in the practice, and uh, a lady walked in, her name was Joyce, uh, and the health coach, so we have these health coaches who are from the community, and help us help our patients sort of execute on the plan. So the health coach said, Doc, the, the patient who came in, she's a hot mess. And I walked in the room and, and she was. Her hair was disheveled. She had this blank look in her eyes. Her uh, diabetes was out of control. Her hypertension was out of control. She was not taking her medicines. She was in and out of work. She had gone to the emergency room like six times in the last month. Uh, I think we all know patients like this. And so I met her, I introduced her to the health coach, and we made a shared care plan for her, and we got her involved in some groups. And, and I actually ended up leaving that practice because I was trying to start a second one. Uh, and I came back six months later, and uh, the doctor took over for me. The name is Neil Patel. He said, Rashika, remember that lady we saw early on, Joyce, you said was such a hot mess? I was like, yeah, absolutely. He said, well, she's back. I want you to meet her. So I go in the room, and I don't recognize her. She looks amazing, like hair's combed little makeup on, glint in her eye, back to work, no ER visits, taking her meds, hypertension, diabetes under control. So I look at her, I think, Joyce, you look great. She said, Doc, I've never felt better in my life. 
So I said, you know, Joyce, can you help me out? What have we done to help you? What she didn't say is, you have a great business model, you have a great IT system, you're a good doctor, you know, you have a, you know, any of that. She said, you have good protocols. She said something very profound. She said, Doc, you all cared about me. You taught me to care about myself, and I didn't want to let any of us down, right? You cared about me. You taught me to care about myself. I didn't want to let any of us down. That's the sharp end of the sword. That's what we have to accomplish, right? In healthcare, is this relationship. And then all the other stuff. Now, in order to do that, we had to get the payment model right. So we're not paid for doing trivial stuff. We had to get the IT system right. We had to get the space right, the right people on the team, the right culture. We had to, all that's empowering though. But so, so the job isn't certainly to save money in healthcare. It's not to improve outcomes. It's not even to, um, you know, improve health. It's actually to improve lives, right? Engage with patients. That leads to better health. That leads to lower healthcare costs, you know, et cetera. So, so that's the change. So what we do at IOR is we try and change everything to align with that. So uh, we start with having to have a different payment model, right? We cannot get paid fee-for-service. It's the wrong way to pay for primary care. So we all know that. So stop doing it, right? So we only get paid sort of some version of, you know, flat fee for primary care, double down on it, twice what typical primary care doctors get, which is only 5% of healthcare spending, um, and maybe some share of savings in the back end, but really value-based payment, period. Um, number two is then we can really say our job, as I said, is really taking care of patients. So we build teams around patients. So it's not just about us as doctors. Uh, we're important because we can help uh, diagnose and prescribe, but the hard part for patients is how do you execute? Right. And we need a human being to do that. So that's why these health coaches, we have three per doctor. They're picked for empathy. They're from the community. They speak the language of the people they serve. They, you know, help educate them, hold their hand when that's the right thing to do, kick them in the ass when that's the right thing to do. You know, we embed mental health into the practice. We make shared care plans. We do about half interactions by text messaging and email and video chat. We get patients together in groups. We take them walking. We take them to the grocery store. We do Zumba classes. Uh, we sort of build a de facto narrow network to help them navigate the system. You know, we end up building a, a different sort of IT platform that we call a collaborative care platform to really empower all of this stuff and really build a culture that's really around the thing that I talked about with Joyce. So, so really, that's the sharp end of the sword. Build relationships. We call it high-impact relationship-based care. You know, God, you, there's so much in what you just said. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to go back and listen to it myself. Uh, you know, this, for me, one major lesson I just heard in, in what you said in the story and the explanation of the practice is that we do a lot of building, okay? So we'll add a virtual care component here. Maybe we use a care manager there. Maybe somewhere we have a health coach. Uh, but the difference between what a lot of people are doing in healthcare, uh, you know, we got, we're doing it because, you know, someone else is doing it, it's cutting edge. Maybe it's going to improve customer service or convenience or you know, grow the practice. But what you've done is you've started with that end in mind, the idea that we're, we're going to help people live better lives, be healthier. It's about that relationship and that and what that woman, your patient said to you is just was absolutely brilliant. I mean, that, that could be the vision statement for all of primary care everywhere. You know, you, you cared about me. You taught me how to care about about myself and you know, and I didn't, you know, in this relationship, I didn't want to let you or me down. I mean, that that's I mean, I, I think someone could do a thesis on that statement. Um, right. Uh, so and that's, again, a very, very different way of doing what on the surface might look somewhat similar. 
but I think the the reason you've you've been successful and 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 is that you you've done it you know you've done it in this way with the end in mind and a clear understanding of the the purpose of primary care uh, of literally primary care and then figure it out okay what components do we need but it's not the components that are important it's it's what you're trying to actually achieve and the value you're trying to deliver is that is it is that right it's exactly right so it's why you know when people ask what do you think about say patient-centered medical home which is a set of criteria mm -hmm. right do you have a care manager do you have a policy to see people the same day do you you know sure that's all great but it's, it's missing the point right the whole is greater than the sum of the parts it's about the culture it's not about these structural things it's about aligning and getting the right uh the right aim mm -hmm. yeah I mean, do you, do you, it, it's exactly right, the right aim. Do you, I mean, do you feel like you've, you've rebranded primary care or do you think that you've just gone back to what, what was originally the essence of it? What, how do you see what, what we're talking about or what you've done in this regard? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. So I, I have in my study this great painting called The Doctor. Uh, it hangs in the Tate Gallery, and uh, I can't remember who did it, but it's the picture of a an old doctor sitting at the bedside of a little girl who's sick, and the parents behind it, and you know, and and it's funny back then, you know, this has been the 1800s. There wasn't a whole lot we could do as doctors, you know, in terms of science or technology, but we could sit with people and we could reassure them and hold their hand, uh, and I think we're going back to that because I think we've lost a lot of that, unfortunately. Uh, and not because of people don't want to do that, because the systems don't get in the way, as my uh, colleague said. Uh, you know, but, we, but now we have all the science we can do, so we should also make sure we apply the right science and the right treatments to people, uh, and we can use modern technology to be able to communicate and be able to make sure we close gaps and all of that. So it's a both-and, right? So it's a both-get-this relationship right, and then let's layer on the sort of technology in 21st century stuff we have to then optimize care mm -hmm. and that those two things don't need to be in opposition to each other. We, sh we should do both of them. Well, I think you're raising an interesting and important point here. It is not going back because, again, the number of medicines and, and Atul Kawande has written about this in, in, I think, one of his books. The, if you look at where we are today, the number of medications alone uh, and the number of conditions and the sophistication we have in treating them it's it's mind-boggling that any anyone could actually know all of that and so you take the the technology and and of course it's going to get even more complex with uh with precision medicine and genomics and and uh and predictive analytics so it's it's going to become a different kind of care and i think the challenge and and is is how do you how do you leverage that uh, enabling technology and science and 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 keep that human touch and uh, you know and I, again I think the kind of secret sauce or, or the key that you I'm hearing you use is that you start with the end in mind right it's 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 you start with what what is it we're actually trying to accomplish because you can go down a lot of rabbit holes um, <laughs> right and I'm sure it's that you're laughing because it sounds like you why why are you laughing <laughs> yeah no it is and and I think. It's all about asking the right questions, right? So, so you know, there are people in Silicon Valley who say, you know, we're going to fix healthcare by replacing the doctor with the computer, right? And, and it is framed as a sort of human versus computer, right, thing, and, or primary care doc versus hospitalist, or primary care doc versus specialist. And those are all the wrong way to think about it. 
the right way is it, it and like most things in life they're they're all both ends right so um do we need technology absolutely but do we need a human sort of what i call a vector arm to take the insights from that technology and translate that into behavior change you know absolutely thinking people are going to change behavior because of a computer is silly but um you know having someone who cares about you and you care about um do that is you know there are plenty of people you know an app alone won't fix healthcare when you both that similarly primary care you know by the way what we're not doing is just changing primary care right what we're doing is we're using primary care as a lever to then rationalize the whole system help people get to the right specialist help co-manage in the hospital with the specialist with an with the hospitalist uh, help people get the right treatment, make the right decisions, right? So it's not just about primary care. It, it starts with primary care. What we're doing really is building a bottom-up ACO, right? Mm-hmm. Accountable care organization. Instead of starting top-down with the hospital, start bottom-up with the primary care and then build up as you go. Um, and that's what's going to fix healthcare. That's interesting. Yeah. And and that, that does make a lot of sense. You know, I've been, uh, I was talking to someone today who has spent some time in Saudi Arabia in their healthcare system teaching. And um, they were mentioning to me that one of the metrics that they're using there is uh, for primary care is the number of referrals to specialists. And what they're finding as they analyze the data is there's an optimal number, but uh, you know, there's a number that you start to actually cause more harm than, than good. And we know this when a patient is, yeah. <laughs> a complex patient is seeing four, five, six, yep. eight specialists, it, uh, it, it, and oftentimes many of them are, are avoidable specialties that, you know, a, a good primary care uh, physician could could take care of. They're they're finding that that you know the better physicians are referring less and getting better outcomes. And so it is in, in that respect what you're talking about. Really, is not just the delivery of primary care, but it's the management of care. Is that is that capture what you're saying? No, absolutely. And I think part of what we're doing is is that uh, um, there's a lot of this sort of coordination. Which I think, as for better or for worse, uh, evolved and health systems claim to do it. You know, there are these case managers who are sitting in Idaho somewhere calling you up at night, disease managers, you know, transition coordinators, and this done from the health plan uh, and not from the health system. And our attitude is all these things are the right things to do, but are so much better done from the platform of your provide, your physician. Because we have real clinical data, we have a real relationship. Uh, we can, you know, we can make things happen. Um, and and so what we're doing, another way to look at what we're doing is we're simply pulling stuff that was being done in the ether, and to be honest, not very effectively, and putting it back into primary care. So so again, one of the keys of the economics of this is that our primary care model is twice as expensive, right? So primary care is typically five percent of healthcare spending in the U.S. You know, that's ridiculous. Right, that we're spending 95% of what I call failure primary care when people go on to other things. Right, so what we've done is sort of double down on the primary care. Let's put more into it uh, and allow us to hire health coaches and use technology and do a home visit if we need to and reach out and all those things. Uh, but what we could do is we show these huge drops in downstream spending by keeping people out of the hospital, out of the ER, out of unnecessary procedures. Uh, and so it's not very hard to show that that math works I, out. Again, I think what you're saying is ha- having spent over two and a half decades in, in decades in primary care, it, what you're saying really resonates with me. 
uh, as we in, in, in healthcare in general across the country, looking at the cost, where there's no question there's a lot of waste in the system and we have to cut back. We know that one out of every three dollars is waste. Uh, some of it is in actual clinical care, some of it is in administrative, et cetera. But, but uh, a lot of the work we're doing is really looking at, um, at hospital systems across the country and, and uh, as well as ambulatory and wringing out waste. But in doing that, you know, it, it almost, and I'm, I, you know, I think, you know, I'm going into a little bit of a dangerous zone here, but, I, you know, let's, let's just do this. I think, um, I think at the same time, you can't cut costs across the board, you know, just like that. You can't say we're going to take, you know, 10% from the hospitals and 10% from primary care. Because what I hear you saying is if we're going to make this entire system work, there's going to have to be some decrease in some of the higher cost, um, uh, you know, uh, areas, which we're hoping that less people will need. But in order to make that happen, instead of saying we're going to have to cut across the board and cut primary care, just like we're cutting everywhere else, actually do the opposite, but increase the primary care services. And because that's where, that's where, you know, it's, it's, it's Ben Franklin's, you know, you, you pay up front or you pay later. Um, you know, you make your choice, right? And so why not invest? <laughs> yes. And relatively speaking, they're lower cost, you know, so, you know, invest in navigators, invest in health coaches, invest in, in ways of communicating uh, with the patient 24-7 so that when they're living their life, they, they know they have, as you have with your patient, a team they could count on to teach them how to live a healthier life and a better life. And so it seems to me a bit short-sighted to cut primary care. I know we have to cut and I know we have to decrease costs. There's no question about that. But maybe, maybe it's, I, I wouldn't even say it's paradoxical. To me, it's actually just downright sensible. Maybe you put the money up front where the prevention is and, and that'll actually help you reduce the downstream costs. And probably the return on investment doesn't take that long to do. So am I tracking with you? Or are you ahead of me or, or, or disagree with me or what? Where are you with that? No, absolutely. Now, um, uh, two points on that. So one is we have found that so trying to do this politically is really hard because primary care docs don't have a lot of political power, right? Because in the old system, they don't generate a whole lot of revenue. They're 5% of revenue. So guess who is politically powerful? The people who generate a lot of revenue, the orthopedic surgeons, the cardiac surgeons, the hospital, you know, et cetera. So, 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 they're not, so if you ask people to sit around a table and decide who's going to get cut, guess who gets cut? Primary care. Um, so, so we're not fighting that battle, right? That's mm-hmm. sort of a waste of time. Uh, we simply are saying, increasingly going to payers, say, tell you what, why don't you just give us the whole healthcare dollar and we'll take care of it. Uh, and increasingly, payers are saying, go for it, because we, we've been unable to actually control costs from with this sort of, you know, nurse in Idaho sort of model. So go for it. Uh, and now we can then redeploy the money and just not send people to the specialist, not send people to the hospital, et cetera. And then sort of under these risk models, we could keep, you know, keep what's left. Right. So all of a sudden now, you know, it flips the power dynamic of primary care. Right. All of a sudden, these are our patients. We direct where they go to uh, in a way. And, and not because of gatekeeper, the rules. That's the old model. It's because of relationship, because they, they trust us and because they want us to help them navigate their care. Right. And I think what's particularly high deductible plans and the like, that these things get aligned. Right. So that's point one is I think it, it's not going to happen politically, but, but I think these new payment models, particularly these sort of shared savings and global risk models, start enabling this. 
Um, and I guess the second point is, is to double on this, or you said it doesn't take that long to get a return on investment. Um, so, so we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, and when you start doing the right thing, right? So our practices, no one thinks their job is to save money in healthcare. Their job is to do the right thing for patients. In the beginning, that could mean actually doing more for them, right? And, uh, and so costs may actually go up a little in the beginning. Now, over time, they go down, right, as you prevent all the things that need to be prevented. But that isn't a one-year thing. That we've seen takes two or three years in general. So it means that you need to have populations for this to work that you can be on the hook for for at least two or three years. Um, you know, and I think of this, this era of sort of one-year health insurance contracts, quarterly statements and all that, it makes it hard, right? This is, uh, this is behavior change. It's hard. It takes time. We just need longer time horizons than I think mm-hmm. a lot of people. And yeah, I, I want to also clarify too. I, we, we could go down that discussion about the, the rock and, and how, uh, you know, at the federal level and how uh, primary care is paid RVUs versus specialty or surgical RVUs. And, uh, you know, I'm not taking anything away from anyone. I don't think that's the discussion. Um, it's it's that's not the that's not what we're arguing. I think what we're saying is is really about uh, managing care. And and again, this is like you said. I think you said it perfectly. And I, and that's why I love what you're doing at your Health. It's it's not about this is not about gatekeeper medicine. Um, this is not about cutting costs. This is actually about you know improving care, improving people's lives, and working backwards from there. And and you know I've heard people say that recently. In fact, I, I've spoken to folks about this. This uh, point about um, uh, undertreating, and um, I, I think that that my experience and observation and what I've read about uh, managed care, era, you know, in the eighties and nineties was I think there was that was going on. Uh, I don't see that happening again, um, you know, for a lot of reasons. One of which is you're you're being measured in ways that we were not measuring before. So you know, the payers are looking at us. Um, from a population health perspective. So, you know, if, if you withhold care uh, to the point you're making uh, and the patient ends up in the ED or the hospital as a result, and that, that, you know, the sicker the patients are, the faster that'll happen. Um, it could happen literally within, you know, hours or days of, of under treatment to, you know, to a year or two. So it's going to, you'll see very quickly if you're not providing the appropriate treatment. So, and and if you're skimping on people or if you're not, you're avoiding uh, people or cherry picking because you've got a population you're taking care of and you really have to take care of your flock. And so um, so I, I don't see I don't see that as as much of an issue. I think there's a lot of safeguards and in, in, in place right now that um, that that's not going to be the issue. But that's clearly not what you're about here. Right. So uh, this is I have so many questions to ask you. One. um Let me just let me ask you this because this this is still this is something that I still struggle with. The we've mentioned you've mentioned the fee for service payment model. It, it does. I, I I must have this conversation with primary care physicians on a weekly, if not daily basis. It 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 seems to me that this is the one factor that has really derailed primary care over the last few decades. Um, if you don't get that out of the way. Uh, and the longer you take, um, the longer it's going to take to get primary care right. Uh, you know, I, I have got a lot of opinion about this, but what's, I mean, clearly it is part, it is a core part of your model that you, you disengaged from that and have pivoted a number of times and have plugged into to other power sources, but they've not been fee for service. They've, they've been on some sort of 
uh, value-based uh, approach. Could you say a little word about the importance of that and, and, and how you've pivoted with that and where you are right now? No, no, absolutely. So, so I, someone said when I started Iora, you know, as a startup, one of their pieces of advice was um, as a startup, you need to pick a couple of things that you're never going to compromise on because they're so critical to being successful and be willing to comprise, you know, compromise the hell out of the rest, right? Because that's just what you have to do. And so one of those things is about fee-for-service and primary care, right? Uh, fee-for-service is the wrong way to pay for primary care. It's toxic to it. Um, and, and why is it, right? Because it, 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 it is what uh, enables the transactional nature of things, count what I do, um, and not my outcomes, right? And what we say is that what we ought to be accountable for is not what we do, Several things, but 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 the outcomes, right? And under fee for service, someone else, right, i.e., the payer, is telling you we will pay for this and not that. We will pay for a visit and not an email. We will pay for a doctor or something, but not a health coach, right? And and we say that's stupid. What you really ought to do is pay me for my outcomes, whether I improve people's health, keep them out of trouble, you know, make them happy, and let me decide how to meet that need. And if it's a doctor or a health coach or a behavioralist, if it's a walk in the park or a visit or an email, or it's not your business, Mr. Payer, because you can't tell you're too far away from it. Let me decide that, right? It gives you freedom to be able to deliver care the way you want to, right? And I think it is so core to what we do. And that's why we just, you know, what's interesting is we just say no. <laughs> um, imagine, by the way, mm-hmm. if, uh, you know, no offense, but someone you know, like a big health system like yours mm-hmm. simply went to payers and said, you know, we realize, so in every other industry, by the way, in the world, the seller decides how they price their product and the buyer decides whether to take it or not, right? If I'm going to a restaurant, the restaurant decides we're having a buffet today. You say, can I buy it a la carte? You say, no, we sell it at the buffet. You don't like it, go somewhere else. So, but in healthcare, as a provider, we sort of take whatever contracts these, these guys give us and thank you, may I have another, right? And so what if a, a big provider group would say someday, this is my fantasy, um, you know, payers, uh, fee-for-service is the wrong way to pay for primary care. We are no longer going to sell our services that way. We only sell our services at, at, a, at a value-based way. And if you don't like it, shove it and go take a hike. And, and if little old us can do that, imagine what a big health system could do. Right, they couldn't say no, right? But 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 that's not unfortunately how it goes for whatever yeah. reason. No, I, I hear you, uh, and like I said, you're small but mighty, and uh, but you're right. <laughs> I, I think healthcare systems could do this. Um, I, I promised I would get you out at a certain time, and so uh, and it's a Friday uh, late afternoon, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hold myself to that as much as I I I, I mean I I have written down more and more questions to ask you. You we have to do this again um, and, and start from from where we ended. Sure. But um, if you could, uh, I have one more question. But if you could share, there was this story you 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 shared with me and. Uh, about uh, to just to make the point you made a few minutes ago, with just you know, give me the funds and I will I will optimize care in, in at the you know at the best way and it'll it'll be high quality and get the patient what they need and low cost. There was a story about I think it was a carpenter who had end stage renal disease and was uh, was ending up in in the hospital I think uh, after, uh, because he was he was leaving dialysis. Um, oh yes, yes. Yeah, can you share that story because <laughs> it really it it, it articulates. How sophisticated and simple uh, and elegant a solution can be and lower cost dramatically. And this could happen a zillion times a day all over the country if we just did what you're doing. Yeah, and it's just, I think this is what we're talking about. We had a patient, uh, Mr. Edwin, 
who was uh, had hypertension, diabetes, had not taken care of it very well, uh, so ended up with end-stage renal disease and dialysis. So he would go three times a week to the dialysis center, get plugged in, but poor Mr. Edwin also had an anxiety disorder. So uh, every now and then he'd just freak out while he's plugged into the chair and there's beeping and it's noisy, and he said, I've got to get out, I've got to move, got to move, and he's competent, so they have to unplug him and he goes home without finishing dialysis. So of course the next day what happens? He ends up in the ER, uh, with renal failure. He can't breathe, it's potassium 70, his palpitations. So they admit him for emergent inpatient dialysis. Two days in the hospital, um, they discharge him, they give him some Ativan to try and prevent this. He hates Ativan, so he throws it away on the way home. Uh, and this cycle continues. So he had had 17 admissions a year before, <laughs> 17, uh, for exactly the same thing. And no one did anything about it. So he comes into our practice, and his health coach, uh, Millie was her name, uh, who's very empathetic, because that's why we pick people, said, Mr. Edwin, this must be awful. He said, yes, I hate it. Um, and she said, um, you know, Mr. Edmund, is there any other time when you feel like you were to get up and move around? He said, yes, at home sometimes when I'm sitting down, I feel that way. And then the key question is, well, at home, is there anything you can do to calm yourself down? And he said, well, at home, I just put my music on and that calms me down. So she comes out of the room and our health coaches are given a budget to spend on patients for anything. They want anything. If they think it'll- Wait, wait, wait. Your, your health coaches are given a budget to spend on patients? Right, to, to, to do anything, <laughs> to do anything. Uh, and they don't need our approval, by the way, uh, but, but we like to know about it just so we know about it. She said, Doc, you know the budget we have? I said, yes. She said, well, um, can I buy him one of those iPod things? I think, absolutely. So we go on eBay <laughs> and we buy a $35 used iPod shuffle. Uh, and I said, what, what music does he like? He likes merengue. Well, why don't you block an hour out uh, when this thing arrives and ask all the girls to bring their merengue CDs in and then download the merengue onto the iPod. So she does that. And so Mr. Edwin comes the next week. I tell everyone, okay, stop what you're doing. And we all go into his room and I say, congratulations, Mr. Edwin, you win our patient of the month award. And we of course don't have a patient of the month award, but I need an excuse to give him this thing. And if we give him this iPod, he's wow. And he would never have uh, thought of this. I to put it on, press the button. Oh, it's my favorite song. Great. Every time you go to dialysis, you put this on and you think of us. And he does. And then for the next six months, zero ER visits. Sits through dialysis every single time, right? So this is a $35 iPod shuffle, which saves hundreds of thousands of dollars of healthcare costs. Now you ask, why don't, why doesn't any other practice do this? Because there's no CPT code for, you know, buy iPod off eBay. And there's certainly not a CPT code for, you know, spend an hour putting merengue on that iPod. But it was exactly the right thing to do, right? So it's you ask a different question, not what do I get paid for, what's the code? And no payer could write a protocol for this. But an empathetic person with the right goals can say, if I give him an iPod and put merengue on it, we will fix his problem. We'll fix his life. That'll improve his health. That'll keep him out of trouble. That'll save money in healthcare, right? So that's the chain again. Um, so that's the profoundness of not doing fee-for-service and building the right culture and systems. Well, and again, it, it boy, that's a... <laughs> I love that story. It, it, it teaches so much. Um, you should write these up as case studies. Yeah. Have you it really just really, I mean, you, you could really deconstruct the story. But it, again, it speaks to your, your payment model. It speaks to your IT platform, to the team you've put together with the health coach, navigator, and behavioral health, to you have these, you know, a lot of the work you do is in groups uh, where you bring people in and, and, and what that does for folks. And but, but I think at the heart of it is, is again, going back to your core, uh, the core value proposition, the core mission 
the core North Star, which is this is not about any of that. Yeah, we have the best doctors. We've got the best protocols and processes. We do all that sort of stuff, and we got this team. But it ultimately is about what you you and your team are setting out to do, which is you've decided you're you're all about improving patients, people's lives, and everything is derivative of that. And to me, that's the essence of primary care. And I I think you're really of, uh, I mean, if anyone's nailing it, you are. And I I you know I honestly think we should take a lesson from you, many lessons. Actually, that that brings me to the last question, and and which is, uh, and I'm trying, I'm holding back because I got lots more. Um, Okay. <laughs> um, what uh, are there? Are there any sort of for folks out there who are listening, um, who are, are healthcare leaders, largely in, in systems or in practices? Are there any sort of key takeaways? Are any sort of calls to action? Or is there is there any sort of you know is there anything we can do to move uh, ourselves? And, and I think you, you gave us a great point before. If you can make payers move. Boy, uh, a large a large system could, you know, with its weight and, and, and everything it has behind the resources could do a lot more. So, but but are, are there other sorts of calls to action or, or recommendations you have? If there was, or maybe, you know, even if, if I framed it this way, I mean, if, if, if you're talking, if you had that microphone to, to the, you know, IDNs across the country and uh, could say, do this, <laughs> is there anything you can help us realizing we are not you? Right. Yeah, I mean, so, so, so obviously this payment redesign is key, but well, people may or may not be able to do that. I think uh, it's all about culture, right, and, and aligning culture uh, around the patient and trying to focus on, as you said, improving people's lives and, and not about sort of codes and billing. Uh, I think that the nature of the team in primary care is so important. Uh, so we do something really simple, which is huddles every morning, right? It's, it's not just us. Every, I think, high-performing, uh, you know, service business, which we are one of, right? With the Ritz-Carlton or Disney or um, Southwest Airlines, they all do this huddle thing, right? Where just for, you know, even a few minutes every morning, get the whole team together uh, and and talk about, you know, anything almost. But, but pull together, here's what we're doing, here are our goals, maybe a little teaching topic of something we want to do, a reading, uh, and let's talk about our day going forward, what we need to do, are there barriers, um, et cetera, right? And just getting everyone, and, and, and a few little tips of the huddle. So one thing we do, we do huddles every morning. Uh, the doctor doesn't run the huddle, right? We take turns running the huddle. The first thing we say every day is we all run the practice, we all run the huddle, and get different people to run it. Right. And I think just that little thing. And we, we happen to have the luxury of doing it for 45 minutes. And we talk about people who are not coming in and a lot of stuff. But even if you have five, I think there is huge power in doing that, uh, pulling your whole team together and getting on the same page every day um, and getting that rhythm in place. And, and I assume you talk about the patients. Yes. And we talk about the patients, the people we're concerned about, um, you know, either victories or things that we're worried about. And we need help with other people problem solving. Uh, it's, you know, we, we often talk about teams in healthcare, but we often do a lot of parallel play, you know, as opposed to actually being together and talking about things, particularly in the outpatient side. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Uh, you know, one thing I've, I'm struck by and uh, when I give this talk on reframing healthcare, we, we spend so much time talking about ourselves in meetings. Uh, now, n- there's nothing wrong with that because we got we have to get better, and so looking at ourselves and how we're doing and improving ourselves, all good. But um, you know how much time we actually spend talking about patients 
and what they need and what their perspective is, is I, I think your huddle actually introduces that into otherwise what might be a, uh, a very kind of myopic uh, perspective and or you know, perspective that is turned inward as opposed to outward. So, so Rashik, again, I promise I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you go. Uh, I want to thank you so much. Uh, every time I speak with you, it's just it's just so invigorating and, and encouraging. And I, I learn, um, you know, no matter how many times we, we talk about things that seem to be the same, I learn more and more. So really thank you for being a part of uh, this uh, Creating a New Healthcare podcast. And I, I think uh, we've delivered on, on fresh perspectives and uh, I think some bold ideas and solutions. And so thank you. And I do want to thank the listeners out there who are also doing the hard work each and every day of uh, taking care of patients or who are supporting uh, the folks that are directly taking care of patients. So this is Zeb Newworth. You've been listening to Creating a New Healthcare. Wishing you all good health and good living.